Thank you, Bill. Good morning again to everybody. Isn't it great to be here today? You know, we think about sometimes, uh, we think about the difficulties of conflicts that are going on in difficult situations around the world and maybe even in sometimes in some situations in our country. But we can come here. I appreciate the brother's prayer just a few moments ago about uh, thanking God for the, our ability to come and worship God freely, openly. And it is not that way everywhere in the world. And we have a blessing to live in this country that uh, is unique to many countries. We can open openly and continually worship God and not be ashamed, not be afraid of somebody coming through the door and shutting us down or even arresting us for simply teaching the Bible, God's word, clearly, openly, and accurately. I want us to think about what we believe this morning within the Lord's church, the churches of Christ. Someone says, well, well tell me, what is church of Christ doctrine? And you know, you think about that particular question and the nature of that question is really rather denominational. And as I've tried to teach many times through different venues of, of teaching, that word denominational, when you think about it, and, and it seems to be embraced by a whole lot of churches that, that want to be Christians, but that word means that it's very base division. And that's not what Jesus came to this world to establish. He came to establish his church. And so to be his church, truly, we need to stay true to his teachings communicated to us in God's word, the scriptures, the Bible. But people will talk about Baptist doctrine, they'll talk about Catholic doctrine, they'll talk about Methodist doctrine, they'll talk about Presbyterian doctrine. But that word doctrine simply means teaching. And what people really want to know is, what, what do you believe? What do you teach? What do you practice as the Lord's church? And we need to understand that. People are used to thinking through the prism of denominationalism. So what does your church teach over there? Well, you know, if any church teaches anything other than what the Bible says, they're not teaching the truth of God's word. Revelation chapter 22 verses 18 and 19 tells us that we are not to add to God's word. We're not to take away from God's word. And if we were to do either of those things, then we stand in jeopardy of our very souls, our eternal salvation. We can be condemned for that. And someone might say, well, you know, that's just the very last book of the Bible. No, we find the same principle repeated in Deuteronomy toward the beginning of the Bible in a couple of different places, I believe there, but also in Proverbs right about in the middle of the Bible. But then we find other texts of scripture that repeatedly warn against that in principle, if not spelling it out in specific wording. But the principle is there, such as Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, where Paul was rebuking the churches of Galatia for turning to a different gospel, which he said is not another. Because once you change the truth, it's no longer the truth. It's your word. Once you change the gospel message, it's no longer the gospel message. It's your message. You've changed it to suit yourself. Well, what, what do we believe? We need to stop and think now. The truth is 
When someone says, well, well tell me what, what Church of Christ doctrine is. There is no Church of Christ doctrine. And somebody might listen to that and, and be a little you know, bum-fuzzled and say, well, wh what do you mean there's no Church of Christ doctrine? We simply believe and we teach and we practice the doctrine or the teachings of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. When we look at 2 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Apostle John wrote this, whoever transgresses and does not abide in or live in or live by the doctrine of Christ does not have God. I'm not sure how many people actually read that particular text of scripture and, and realize the emphasis that John is bringing out there. Whoever does not abide in, abide means to live in, the doctrine, the teachings of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. And then he goes on in the next two verses, he says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of Christ, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. We should not encourage anyone teaching something other than the simple, straightforward teachings of Christianity laid down by our Lord himself and our God and Father in his word. Now we have denominations today who are changing it. They've been changing it for decades. And, and lately, they, they're changing things to try to conform to the social norm. That's no longer God's word when you start changing it. God's word is God's word. We believe what we, what we, what, what we teach as God's, God's word, as the doctrine of Christ, that's the, his doctrine, not our doctrine. And so when we think about true doctrine, we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. In verse 15, Paul lays out for young Timothy, kind of his, his uh, protege, so to speak. Paul was his mentor. And so he, he reminds Timothy that from childhood, you have known the holy scriptures, God's word which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is, in, which is in Christ Jesus, not in some man, not in some denominational structure, but through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on in verse 16 and he says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. In the Greek, that means literally it is God's breathed. And the understanding being it is God's very word, scripture, all scripture. And it is profitable for doctrine, that is for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly furnished or completely equipped for every good work. God has given us his word to guide us in all matters of following him in faithful obedience. Man cannot come up with something in addition to God's word and it be okay. It's not authoritative. <clears throat> it's not God's word. And man cannot come along and say, well, you know, these portions of the scriptures are out of date. They're old-fashioned. They're no longer socially accepted. 
We need to be, as a society, we need to conform our thinking to God's thinking and not try to conform his word to our thinking. I hope you got that. It's, I really did not speak any double talk there. We need to follow God's word. We believe and we teach and we practice the doctrine of Christ in the churches of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. I want us to think about that this morning. <clears throat> We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and our Lord and Savior. And nobody should be ashamed to say that. Somebody might bring up, well, what about all those billions of people in other parts of the world, especially, who do not believe in Jesus as the Son of God and our Lord and Savior? Jesus himself answered in this way, I am the truth, the life, uh, the, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, John 14 and verse 6. As the apostles went about preaching the word, preaching the doctrines of Christ, shortly after he ascended back to heaven following his death on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb, they said this, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Those statements have not changed in their truthfulness. Jesus is the only way, the only way to God, the only way to forgiveness and salvation, the only way to eternal life with him in heaven. <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter <clears throat> Excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. <clears throat> we believe that Jesus came to this world because the scriptures teach that, to bring the message of salvation from the throne room in heaven for mankind, and in that message, central to it, <clears throat> is, the, is the church that Jesus established on this earth. He is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, which is the church. Ephesians 1, verses 22 and 23, Colossians 1, and verse 18, and again in verse 24, they all describe, identify the church as the body of Christ. We should thus follow his teachings, but this is, Christ's doctrine, not our doctrine. We don't make it up. We cannot change it. We cannot try to twist it a little bit, bend it, manipulate it to fit the social times. We simply teach the word of God. In John 12 and verse 48, Jesus, he laid out the importance of that commitment. He said, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken, the word that I have taught, the word that I have brought from heaven will judge him in the last day. This is our guidebook to follow God and to walk with our Savior in faithful obedience. We don't make up, we don't, don't develop, we don't refine our own doctrine. We simply follow the teachings already laid out for us in Scripture. That's God's word, and we can have confidence in it. When man starts to change it around, boy, all kinds of difficulties automatically come into play because that's man's thinking, and we're fickle, aren't we? We change with the times. In fact, we change from day to day in some cases. 
But God's word is constant. It is always there. Jesus identified himself as God's only begotten son and our savior. John chapter three, beginning with verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his own son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved if we will come to him as our savior in his way. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the only begotten Son of God. Now that says it again succinctly in pertaining to whether somebody cannot believe in Jesus and still be following God faithfully. No, it does not work. In John chapter 4, beginning with verse 10, we read, Jesus answered and said to her, and he's speaking to a woman at a well who he met, his apostles had gone into the village or the, little, or the city there to buy some food. He stayed back by the well, a woman from that area, from Samaria. So she was a Samaritan woman. And they were looked down upon by the Jewish people of that day. She comes to draw some water and Jesus asks her, can you give me a drink? So Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God. Now the woman responded to his request that she, she would give him a drink by saying, why are you talking to me? A Samaritan. The Jews did not have much, much association with Samaritans because, again, they looked down upon them as being kind of a mongrel race from a spiritual perspective. And, and, and here is this woman, and again, that was not the norm of the day for men to simply talk to women on a common casual basis. And so she says, why are you talking to me? Why are you asking me for a drink, a Samaritan, a woman? And so he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water, living water. And then we go a little further down to verse 14. He goes on and he's teaching her about himself being the savior, the son of God. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He's not talking obviously about physical water drawn out of a well. He's speaking of water from a spiritual perspective. And then we go a little bit further. Beginning with verse 25, the woman, after a while, she goes into the city. She tells, starts telling the people of the city, the men of the city especially, come here a man who's told me everything about me. And so a procession starts coming out from the city to where she had been meeting with this man back at that well. And so the woman said to him, I know Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I am he, I, 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 I who speak to you am he. I'm the one you're talking about. I'm the one you're looking for. The Messiah prophesied in many Old Testament scriptures as coming. I am the son of God. I am the savior. Matthew chapter one and verse 21 when the angel told Joseph what name would be given to the son that Mary would bear, she, the angel said, you shall call him Jesus, 
for he will save his people from their sins. And that particular name means literally Savior. I am the Messiah you've been looking for, the Messiah of whom you're speaking. And so the people began to come out. They began to come out in response to what the woman had said. In John chapter 4, beginning with verse 39, many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all things I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Can you imagine how much teaching, can you imagine the preciousness of being able to sit at the feet of Jesus for two days and listening to him teach the word of God? He stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. What an emphatic statement. And what a marvelous understanding they had come to. They clearly understood this is indeed the Christ, the Savior, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord that he identified himself openly as being before that woman. And now many from the city had come to understand and believe as well. Now note this discourse between Jesus and another woman, uh, the family of whom herself and her sister and her brother had come to have something of a close relationship with Jesus. And so John chapter 11, beginning with verse 25, Jesus said to her, and this is to, her name is Martha. Her sister, her sister was Mary. Her brother was Lazarus. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But at this particular time, Lazarus had died. And Martha's concerned. Mary is concerned. A group of family and, and, and friends and loved ones gather and they're, they're mourning the death of this man. And Jesus comes after Lazarus died, and he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He's speaking from a spiritual perspective now, an eternal perspective. And then he asks her directly, do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She had learned enough from Jesus through the time that she and her sister and her brother had spent together with him, that even though her, her, her brother had died, and, and one thing when Jesus comes that, that they're, they're confronting him with, Lazarus is in the tomb, he's been dead for three days, and they said, if you had been here, this would not have happened. And so Jesus gives this lesson from a spiritual perspective about physical death and eternal life. He who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who, has come, who is to come into the world. What a profound faith had developed within Martha. 
in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 13, the night of his betrayal, the next day he would be hanging on the cross. Jesus has his apostles with him and is teaching them a whole bunch of specifics before he goes to that cross. And one thing he does is he goes around and washes the feet of every one of those apostles as a lesson in service and also humility. And so in John 13, verses 13 and 14, after he has washed their feet, he, he talks to them. He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, the simple lesson was service, humility. In one particular text, Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve. So when someone says, well, what, what, is, what is your doctrine in the churches of Christ? We don't have a doctrine except the doctrine of Christ. Whatever his teachings are communicated to us in a clear-cut, straightforward fashion in God's word, that's our doctrine. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. We believe the gospel is God's message, the gospel of Christ, God's message for our eternal salvation. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, the apostle Paul declared this straightforwardly, emphatically. No question, no beating around the bush. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that particular phraseology at the end of that particular verse of scripture, to the Jews first and also to the Greek, from the Jewish mindset of that day, it would have included everybody. Because from the Jewish mindset, there were only two groups of people, themselves and everybody else, who were referred to variously as Gentiles or Greeks, in some cases barbarians and heathens, because they saw them as people who did not believe in God, who did not practice circumcision as a sign of the covenant with God. They worshiped idols, and so from the Jewish mindset, they're idol worshipers, they're barbarians, they're heathens. They take part in all kinds of things that are obviously ungodly, as we have come to understand from God's word, the scriptures. But there was no other distinction generally speaking. So when Paul says, this gospel of Christ, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, he left out nobody. For all of humanity, all of mankind, there's one basic message of forgiveness and redemption and salvation for everybody, and that's the gospel of Christ. That's our gospel. That's our doctrine. That's what we believe. That's what we teach. That's what we practice. Jesus taught the, his gospel continually. And, and what he taught is exactly what we teach today. We don't change it to suit ourselves. And anybody who tries to do that 
to change it to suit themselves, to make it in their mind more relevant to the time, has destroyed the truth of the gospel. Because again, it's their word. It's not Christ's word any longer. Jesus taught the gospel during his public ministry. Matthew 4 and verse 23, Jesus went out about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Chapter 9, verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14. Now after John was put in prison, the cousin of Jesus, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus used his preaching the gospel that he brought again from heaven, from God the Father, as a proof that he is the son of God, that he is the savior. In Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse two, read this, read this text, listen to it carefully. When John, that is the cousin of Jesus, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, John had put in, been put in prison by Herod the king because of his teaching the gospel, when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, that is to Christ, he sent these two disciples to talk to Christ. Hey, and, and here's the question for them. John sent this question by means of these messengers, some of his disciples. So they asked Jesus, are you the coming one? The one prophesied in the Old Testament scriptures, the coming Messiah, that that woman at the well was speaking to Jesus about and had come to believe in him as being the fulfillment of those prophecies? Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. The poor have the gospel preached to them. That is the life-changing, the eternal perspective-changing message of God brought to us by his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When Jesus finished his ministry upon this earth during those three or so years, when he died on that cross, when he arose from that tomb, when he ascended back to heaven 40 days later, he told the apostles to do exactly as he had been doing. Go everywhere and preach the gospel that I brought from my father. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. He who does not believe shall be condemned. The same gospel message that he had been proclaiming himself during those three or so years of ministry, personal ministry upon this earth. Specific points call us to obey the gospel message 
in order to be saved. We're supposed to respond to it in not just believing ways, but we are to respond to it in belief that leads us to, to obedience. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8, the apostle Paul wrote, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter wrote similarly in 1 Peter 4 and verse 17, for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? In John chapter 8 and verse 24, therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. We must believe in Jesus. That is specific to understanding and faithfully obeying the gospel. In John 3 and verse 36, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe, and actually it's a different word in the Greek, he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. We must believe in Jesus to the point of obedience to his teachings. He wants us to come to him not just some way or not just a way that feels good to us. He wants us to come to him his way. We must turn away from our sinfulness and how the world needs to receive that message today. And we need to come to him seeking forgiveness through our dedication and our surrender to him. In Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1, Jesus, uh, we read the text, there were present at that season some who, who uh, told him about the Galileans and whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? In other words, Pilate had them executed. And then Jesus says, I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or, and here's the sense, or what about those 18 on whom the, tire, the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. There are a lot of people think that when some, someone stumbles and breaks their leg, that somehow that's punishment from God. Now, I believe God can bring judgment upon us, but what Jesus is trying to get across to them, you're talking about some people who suffered violent deaths. Do you think that, that was because they were worse sinners than every other man? He says, no, I'm, I, let me tell you something. That's not the case. And, and you need to understand, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Confession. And we're not talking about confessing our sins specifically. We're talking about confessing our faith in Jesus is required for us to obey the gospel. We must believe in Jesus. We must repent of our sins. And we must confess him openly as our Lord and Savior. In our country today, we might say, well, isn't that rather redundant? Everybody believes in Jesus here. Not so. But when you go to some other countries, many other countries, you'll find almost nobody who believes in Jesus. They might say they believe in God in some form, but they don't believe in Jesus as the Savior. They don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah. 
Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 24, 47, when he was ready to ascend back to heaven after his resurrection, he told the apostles that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. On Pentecost, when many asked, what shall we do after Peter had well, actually in the middle of Peter's sermon, his gospel message, the first word out of Peter's mouth was repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. In Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, the apostle Paul wrote, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And so confession is made unto salvation. We want to get into salvation all the way though. And there's Jesus' further instruction. Mark 16 verses 15 and 16 as we read a moment ago. He said, to those apostles, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We're baptized into salvation, into salvation. Baptism is part of the gospel to be preached in the Great Commission. As Matthew recorded that Great Commission instruction from our Lord to the apostles as he is ready to ascend back into heaven, these are Jesus' words, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things, whatever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age or the world. Amen. Baptism is part of the gospel to be preached and obeyed in the Great Commission. It is a pivotal point in the doctrine of Christ because it is that, at that point that we transition from being lost in our sins to be, being forgiven in our sins, of our sins, to from being outside of Christ to being in Christ, to being lost, to being saved. In Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse 3, Paul wrote, do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. This is one of two verses of scripture in the entire New Testament and only two that have that phrase into Christ preceded by how we come into Christ. Galatians 3 and verse 27 is the other one. Both of them say baptized into Christ. We're baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Because as we were baptized into Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross, Acts 2 and verse 38, as we just noted, cleanses us of the guilt of our sins. As we're baptized into Christ, we transition from being lost in our sins to being forgiven and saved and come into him. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, surely we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
baptism is when we surrender, turn our lives over to Christ and come into him. Galatians 3 and verse 27, as many as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. But then we're just starting a new life. We start then to live every day by the doctrine of Christ, the teachings of God's word. And Jesus says in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful. That's active faith, obedient faith, consistent faith. And I will give you the crown of life. Now, this is the doctrine that we teach and we believe in a nutshell in the churches of Christ. But it's not our doctrine. It's Christ's doctrine. It's the teachings that he brought from the throne room in heaven to this earth to communicate to mankind. Only by living by the true doctrine of Christ can anyone be a true follower of Christ. We can't change his teaching to suit ourselves. We can't change his teaching to supposedly make it more relevant to the day. We simply have to understand that is God's timeless message for us. And we need to simply, humbly, and obediently put it into practice in our lives on a consistent basis. Is this the doctrine that you believe? Is this the doctrine that you have obeyed? Is this the doctrine that you are living by today? It is truly the doctrine of Christ. If we can help you in any way better understand, we'd love to do that if you'll just ask us. If you need to study some more, we'll make the way for that to happen for you. If you need the prayers of the church, we'd love to pray for you this very morning. If you'd let us know, step forward or talk to us privately. If you're ready to be baptized yourself into Christ for the remission of your sins so that you can come into him where salvation is found and eternal life is assured, we'd love to help you with that this morning. If you need to come, won't you come right now as we stand together and sing?